Hello, it is me, Ronald, and we are back with a special episode of the Arama Japan podcast. It Woo-hoo! is our year-end special for 2020. I am joined tonight by my co-host, Hannah. Hello, everyone. And we have a special guest tonight. Hello, I'm Rio. Um, I write for other things, but I'm mostly uh, about on Substack um, for Japanese music called This Side of Japan. And where can people find you on Twitter? On Twitter, it's at Sneak, but with three E's. So S-N-E-E-E-K? Yes. I'm so glad I can count. Um, <laughs> so, so Hannah, I realized something today when I was um, getting ready for tonight's episode. And what's that? Our baby's a year old. Oh my God. Because we started the podcast around this time last year because I spent a lot of 2019 being just like, Hannah, we should do a podcast. And I want to do a podcast for Mama. Like, you were like, well, what do you want to do? And I was like, mm, just like talk about like a monthly wrap up, nothing serious, like something fun, just like quick and easy we can do. So we were just like the end of decade. Let's do that. So that's how we started the podcast. And yeah, I uploaded it to, it was originally on SoundCloud because I didn't know what to do. I just put it on SoundCloud originally and people were like, oh my God, you are so budget. Put it on something decent. This is me on Spotify or Apple Music. So I finally like went and got an actual like host. And then so the first episodes were posted on our current host on the 29th and today's the 26th. So they were already mostly on SoundCloud at this point. So the podcast is a year old. Yay. And that's actually the same age almost as Yo's newsletter, which everyone should sign up for. Yeah, thank yes. you. He um he included me and Hannah in a special feature he did because um he likes making lists. If you follow him on Twitter, if you follow his writing, you'll see that he loves making lists. Like there was that one um Spotify playlist you were making. It was like how many songs? How many hundreds? Oh yeah, I think it was it's a thousand. stretched to a thousand now, but yeah. So everyone should follow Yo's Spotify account because his playlists are pretty awesome. And they date back to like 2019, 2018, I think. Yeah, pretty much. So he had me and Hannah do like a special friends um, top 10. And he actually got me to release my top 10 the earliest I've ever done it because I'm kind of like always like frantically like on New Year's Eve before I go out, like trying to like post like my, the top, my top 10 on, on Arama, just like, oh my God, I need to get it out. I need to get it out. Um, I have like 10 minutes until the car comes so I can get on the train so I can like be out. <laughs> but, um, but I have most things done now, thanks to you. So thank you. Yeah. Of course, it was great to have y'all on. Okay, so we're going to do a year in episode. So I think the first place we should start off are the year in charts, which basically are what's going to like go and show us the path we took 
in this year of our Lord, 2020. <laughs> um, and what a year it was. <laughs> what a year. What a year. Um, we're going to get into more of why it was such a year. Everyone knows why it was a year. We're in a pandemic. Um, but so Oricon and Billboard, we've all looked at them. Which one would you say, each of you, is more reflective of the reality of 2020, Oricon or Billboard? A hundred percent the Billboard top 20 artists. Mm -hmm. And like, okay, so everyone knows I'm a very, very big 46, 48 fan, but this was not their year <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination, right? That's part so, of why it's such a great year. Okay, for you, maybe. But we're going to also get into why it was not such a great year for you. Um, anyways, putting that aside, like, you look at their activity and they just were not existent, right? Freaking Techie graduated and Mayan graduated and they did nothing. So... They do not belong anywhere close to the top 10 of the artist list. Like, maybe you could say they were 15, but probably not there. And the only list that really reflected that was the top artists. So if you look at the Billboard one, it clearly reflects that. So I, well, one big part of that is the fact that just like a lot of their sales are derived physically. And a lot of it comes from handshake events. Um, so when you cut those out due to the pandemic, you're going to see a natural decrease in their sales. Rio, which one did you think was more accurate between Billboard and Oricon Europe? I would say Billboard as well, just because, um, just because of that. And, um, I mean, the top 10 really seems kind of identical, but they bought like the bottom 10, I think shows like the more the newer acts that really came into play. Like uh, like the two new Johnny's acts. Uh, there's Niju on there as well. Hmm. So yeah, the lack of Niju is very suspicious. <laughs> I'm gonna do a little run through of the top waters for Billboard and then for Oricon. So for Billboard, the top twenty in order are Official Higadandism, Yasu Kenshi, King New, Aimeon, BTS, Arashi. Lisa, Yosobi, Twice, Miss Green Apple, Stones, not Six Tones, Hannah, Stones, <laughs> Snowman, Back Number, Yoroshika, Nizu, Suramasaki, Eito, JL1, 1OK Rock, and King and Prince. Meanwhile, okay, I should like go and say why these charts are a bit different. So the reason why the top artist chart on Billboard exists the way it does is because like it takes several things into consideration. Physical, digital, streaming, um, Twitter, YouTube views. <laughs> Meanwhile, Oricon is a lot more physical based and it's mm -hmm. also purely based on revenue. So streams bring in a lot less revenue than physical. So this is gonna be a list that's very physical dominant for Oricon. So the top 10 on Oricon in order are Arashi, BTS, Junesu Kenshi, King and Prince, Nogizaka 46, Official Higadandism, King New, Twice, Stones, and 17. 
So, like you guys said, I agree with you too. I think Billboard is a lot more representative of what this year was about. Like, looking at this, like, my big thing I've been saying the whole, like, the last second half of the year, basically, is, like, EZU has replaced twice. So, Mm -hmm. twice being number eight on Oricon, that's not reality. 17, like, who knows who they are besides their fans? I would say among the K-poppers, they definitely know. But, like... Are they really bigger than JO1? I would argue they're probably similar, right? Mm-hmm. Does anybody know JO1 outside of JO1's fans? No. <laughs> yeah, I can agree with that. But just like looking at this, like I'm trying to look at like both of them together. And oh, perfect example. So number four on Billboard is Aimeon. She's not in the top 10 on Oricon. Is 17 really bigger than I'm young? Speaking of which, they oh, released the albums the same day. They released their albums the same day this year. And 17 clearly beat I'm Young's album. But in reality, like that I'm young album lasted way, way longer. <laughs> got way more attention, was on every music show. Like the 17 album existed, it was number one, but it was like number one in like another dimension. Yeah. And so clearly that's, like, a big thing. But there's also the fact that, like, you can argue a lot about 10 to 20 on the Billboard list, right? Mm-hmm. I wouldn't and, put Rock in there. Like, what did they do this year? Like, Suda Masaki really being number 16, that's probably more just a result of a lot of his... Previous um, work. His previous work, but also his acting, probably is inflating those numbers a bit. Miss uh, Greenapple yeah. being number 10 is actually a little bit suspicious to me. But that being said, I do think the top 20 is a lot more accurate as to, like, what people are talking about. And if next year you had asked me, like, what do you think is going to explode? 10 to 20 is a lot more likely. <laughs> actually, speaking of Miss Greenapple, I remember when we were, like, speculating who was going to be part of Kohaku this year. Tim, front of the show, Tim, he said, Miss Green Apple. And I'm like, Miss Green Apple doesn't really have a hit song. But when I do the streaming certifications, Miss Green Apple is there quite a bit. Not like, oh. not like in like the um, platinum or like whatever higher, but like they really are doing, they have a number of songs that are like in the silver and gold range. But they haven't had like a breakthrough song. Like they haven't had their pretender or their um I'm like blanking on a breakthrough song. They I have, love. <laughs> they have, well, I well, they already had their well, their pretender was the well, pretender was like Higadans, or like they haven't had their son. So mm. Yeah. You know, again. So it's kind of weird to me. They have so many. Like, Miss Green Apple's number 10, and I get it because of streaming, but I can't think of a single... I know some of their song titles, like Romance and Al Tolnatsu. I think that's one of their songs, but, like, they don't have, oh, like... Yeah. So I found that kind of funny. Um, but speaking... We might as well just go, like, on to, like, digital now. And the biggest song of the year, according to Billboard, was... 
yourself is Yoroni Kakero. That I don't think should have any question about <laughs> whatsoever. Rio, what do you think? Yeah, that's like no questions there, really. But um, that's their biggest. But then we jump over to Oricon, and Oricon had a different thing to say. Oricon was like, oh, Stones was a snowman, imitation range slash DD. That's number one this year, purely because of physical sales. But thinking about that, when I wrote the year end billboard last night, there was like a lot of little bits of information about that single, which I actually did find fascinating because we talked so much about how digital is doing better and how digital, not, when we say digital, we mean streaming, really, about how it's doing so well recently, but they actually did a lot of things physically, Stones and Snowman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was the first time in 11 years that a male act had topped this chart because basically it was AKB48 for the past 11 years. <laughs> and been broken. And it was the first time a debut single had done this in 14 years. Mm-hmm. I actually didn't get a chance to see what the debut single was, but do you guys have any idea what it may be? 14 years ago? 14, 14 years ago, a debut 2006. single. 2006, oh no. Um, a debut, what was, what was the number one? Was It would have had to have been the debut single though. That was yeah. the year, that was like the top of the year. Ayaka? No, I feel like we should look that up. Um, let's just see if we can find that real quick. You know who probably would like know that off the top of their head? Sam. Yeah, he really would. I can't think of it right now. I'm like, I'm trying to like look it up and see if I can find it. But you know what I find really funny about the, so this is kind of like a step back, mostly because, so these charts are also very, they're very um, slanted in that they deliberately exclude certain acts like who? Namely, a lot of the anime groups tend to get excluded. For whatever oh, reason. Guess what it was. What was it? Cartoon Real Face. Ah, uh, okay. So it figures it would have been another Johnny's group. Another Johnny's group. That was the number one single. The number one single of 2006 was Cartoon's Real Face. And you know, last night, for some reason, that did pop in my head as what was probably the answer. <laughs> But like thinking about it, it that definitely was the answer. What was the answer? That it was Captain? Yeah. yeah. Because I wasn't even like, I didn't care about Johnny's. It was all about just like my divas back then. But like I was definitely just like very much aware that they existed. Yeah, because some of their members were like super huge back then, right? Mm-hmm. And then going back to Stones and Snowman, it was the first debut single to crack 1.5 million copies sold. Just ever, right? Yeah. 
Because I remember it took forever for AKB to get their debut single that high. Yeah. Not even a debut, just like a regular um just like a regular single for a regular single to crack a million they needed to have like a huge that's the main difference between like boy idols and girl idols for a female idol act to get that big they needed to have like massive national popularity whereas a guy group could simply get it on the basis of their fans Mm -hmm. and then going to albums the clear top album of the year on Billboard and Orkhan was Inessa Kenshi's Stray Sheep. If you guys remember from our August episode, me and Hannah were in a bit of a, um, we had a bit of a crazy <laughs> day running around Manhattan, indulging in Kenshi. He had his Times Square video billboards he had his uniqlo collection on fifth avenue like the cover of the album like covering the entire uniqlo store um i did like the album it was good i liked it in my top 10 for the year hannah loves it because she in her words she's a whore for kenshi she's great talent means everything (laughs) oh my god we're not gonna get on that right now um Rio, what did you think of it? Like, do you agree with this? I mean, you kind of have to agree with this. <laughs> yeah, um, it's a, it's a solid album, and it's like I can't think of uh, any other like soloists that are like dominated the year than Kenshi Inazu. Um, this, yeah, um, it's just it's just very surprising to me that like this is a sole album that like cracked a million. Hmm. Yeah, I feel like it's always it's always really surprising to see million selling albums, even with or without handshakes, because I don't think I can't remember the last AKB album to actually crack a million. All the other albums that I'm remembering are all like compilation albums or this is their last album that they are releasing before they decide to disband yeah. kind of album. Because, like, the past couple of years, like, we had the Arash. Well, I thought the Arashi one was going to be, like, they're kind of, like, we're going away by album, but they released another studio album afterwards, which makes no sense. <laughs> and then the year before that, you had um, Namie. Mm-hmm. And then was it the same year or the year before where you had SMAP? You had SMAP, I think, either the same year or very slightly before. And then going to streaming, again, streaming for both was Yosobi, Yoroni Kakeru. Um, and then downloads for both, because like there will be a crossover of similarity between, they're judging the same data often, Billboard and Orkan, is Lisa's Grenge. My favorite moment to shine. Yes, my people. Like, I think it's actually been years since you had one act dominate number one and number two on any of these, right? It's been a very, very long time since you've seen that outside of like AKB just stacking the top five because they're always million dollars, right? 
And to see her dominating number one as Gurenge and number two as Homura, which are basically the same song for the same exact anime franchise, is just hysterical. <laughs> They're literally, they literally sound exactly the same. Just play them back to back. It's surprising that like Homura came out maybe like late October and it already yeah. has all these numbers. It's like only been a month and a half, maybe. I think Japan was just very thirsty for a real diva to actually break through. Because it's been, admittedly, uh, it's been a very long mad about that one. I mean, like, think about it. The last time we had a diva breakthrough like this was, like, I use era. <laughs> oh, by the way, I should say, we are recording this the same day that the Demon Slayer movie was certified as being the most successful film in Japanese history, surpassing- Yay, go anime weebs. So basically um, they did all of that, the movie did all that in what, like two and a half months? Yep. And it's really funny because we're also recording this. So there is actually a blog uh, that does all of the anime franchise tallies because Oricon and Billboard do not do them, right? And they released the top 10 acts of the year and Bang Dream, which if you follow my Twitter, I'm a whore for them too. They earned 28 billion yen this year, which would put them solidly in the top 10 Oricon artist list. So this is my year. <laughs> hmm. So, um, oh, and something that Billboard does, which I actually like that they do, they actually name the top lyricist and top composer of the year as well. So yeah. that title went to one person for lyricist and composer. It was official Higidendism's front man, Fujiwara Satoshi. Very well deserved. So, people, if you want to hit song, you should probably go to him. You can, like, go and put some of the Higadan magic on your group or band or struggling female soloist. What do you say? It's all for himself, though. The thing is, though, is that when you do this, when you're like this, you start off doing it all for yourself. And then gradually, once they see you can do it for yourself then it's like oh come over and do some things for some other people just like i'm young from last year to this year <laughs> yeah because I know the dishes, dishes neckle was was is an i'm young song, just sung by dish so hannah you wanted to talk a bit about that yeah, because like we are recording literally the week that Snowman tested. So one of their members tested positive for Corona, which means they are not going to be performing anymore. So this is the one time NHK can do right by guy groups and book a non-Johnny's act for that slot, right? Right? No, no, no. That is a Johnny spot and it's going to stay a Johnny spot. They're going to oh bring God. the Sexy Zone. Sorry, Dish, you're not taking a Johnny spot. Sexy Zone is going to be taking that spot over. You sound like Girl Chan right now. I'm just saying. 
I'm sorry, but sometimes they're right. Like it's Johnny Spot. Stardust is not going to get a Johnny Spot. Well, sometimes we need to break tradition, right? You know what? I think I will say I personally applaud Johnny and Associates this year. What? Oh, yeah. I really actually think this is probably one of their best years ever. Oh. They Uh. had two groups come out of the gate hot. They have their other group, their biggest group about to go away for good, finally. And it's breathing like new life into the company. Like they're going and like they're on social media, they're on YouTube, they're doing free live stream concerts. I feel like Johnny and Associates really is just like, they're I trying. applaud them. They're trying. I applaud them. I mean, it's kind of just like, it's kind of just like, oh, they're doing their job that they should have been doing. But I applaud them for finally doing their job. I mean, okay, so half of me wants to agree with you that they are, that this is the one year that I can think of. It has been 15 years since I last really, really liked a Johnny's group. And I think I would agree that this is, their best year in about like two decades right but on the flip side they're not on streaming okay first off they're not on streaming this means that both bro and i are going to be like all right we'll we'll figure out your songs next year right but the second thing is that all their promo is going to arashi oh my god we're back on this um yes tell me okay but tell me why Oomph on Twitter DM'd me and was trying to invite me to go on Clubhouse to complain about a Rashu of her and a group of people because they were confused as to why they were getting all this international promotion. And I was just like, you know what? I did a whole podcast episode on this. Feel free to listen to it and spread it to your friends because I'm just as lost. Because like, I feel like, I feel like the missing piece of it all is the Olympics. Like, that was just either big coming out on the international stage. And it's like, hey, those guys from the Olympics, you saw them then, now watch them now. And that didn't happen. So it all feels like, huh, what's going on? And I just wanted to ask, like, why don't they do it for anyone else? (laughs) We're still asking questions. I hope they do, because, like, Heisei Jump is doing really interesting things, like that one video with uh, Queen Bee Zava uh, uh, producing, and I think Sexy Zone had really great credits on their album this year. They're finally trying. (laughs) They're finally trying. So I really do hope it trickles somewhere, Mm -hmm. especially with, like, YouTube opening up for them. It's like, time is now, or it's, like, such a waste. You know what the funny thing is, though. Speaking of sexy zone, there was there they have had so much growth <laughs> because um, on Super Music Station Ultra Super Live Fest, whatever they're calling it, the jumble of words, um, they did Bye Bye Dubai the other night, and I was just like, oh my god, they were really unlistenable when they first came out. Yes, yes, they were, and Johnny still is because I wouldn't be able to tell since they're not on streaming. Oh my God, just buy the CD, Hannah. 
But when I say I unlistenable, <laughs> when I say unlistenable, I mean like the songs were just like shit. <laughs> like it literally was like a horrible Dubai commercial. But for what reason? We have no idea. Dubai tourism, probably. I mean, like, Dubai probably paid Johnny, like, some money or gave him, like, a couple of free vacations. Mohammed bin Solomon, like, can you please pay six tones? <laughs> Stones! I'm going to have people literally commenting on the podcast saying just, like, you're not calling them six. You're calling them six. Ronald, why are you not correcting Hannah when she calls Stone sticks tone. This, these are real comments, by the way. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to be prompted to say, call them six tones even more now. Oh my god, maybe I should kick you off the podcast. What? Um, so, so overall, what do you think these charts show us about the year and the future going forward? So let's start with guest first, Gojo. Oh, well, I think that uh, like the streaming is obviously the strongest like format that really showed up this year. Um, like Yo Sophie is like so emblematic of that, you know, with through YouTube, uh, going viral on Spotify, just like other means of YouTube platforms. Like, uh, like, uh, me and Helen were talking about the Hollow Live YouTuber just covering these songs too. So it's mm-hmm. like internet is the place to really have these songs spread out. It's so funny that you mentioned USOV because I'm just reminded of the fact that they don't even have an album yet. Yeah, like their physical album is next month, but like they're topping all these numbers despite a physical format that is wild. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I actually think Yoasobi is the first time that a Miku song. So Yoruni Kakeru actually started as a Miku song. And then um then Ikuro covered it like Aya says Miku song as the Yoasobi duo. And that's when it became viral. And I was just looking at the chart being like well, this is the first time in like 13 years that a Miku song is number one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like going back to Kenshi too, you know, like he started yeah. using Vocaloid as uh, Hachi and then he's here now. It's like, it's that sort of scene is just like on the top, like establishing, like like establishing these trends that they were building underground, you know, through like Nico Nico or something. Yeah, the underground is rising. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, I think we're talking about it with Hannah earlier, too, that, like, a Yoshovi physical format CD, it just seems so, like, 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 I'm, I'm so used to it digitally, that seeing it physical, it's almost like, why would I want this? <laughs> yeah, it's just kind of like, do you even need a physical album at this point? I mean, is this only to, like, buffer your physical sales? <laughs> yeah, it's, like, merch. Like, I want this song now as, like, a physical totem that I could, like, hang in my room. A vinyl CD that you will never play, ever. Yeah. But you'll That's... have it. That's it how it's going to be. be. <laughs> somebody, somebody on, on Arama... They said just like, how is it that like on Oricon overall, step in a step is higher than make you happy? And they were just like, because it had a physical release. Yeah, that's so, so true. If you like, want to go and happy. get hung up, 
you have Nikki to get is like charting like crazy on karaoke still i mean that's that's like the hidden thing that like streaming has so completely dominated that it is now a better indicator of what's going to chart on karaoke than anything else so something that someone pointed out you guys were pointing out too just like streaming has like really increased this year so just to give you like a little bit of a refresher, the number one song on streaming this year on Oricon, because they gave numbers out for streaming, was Yoasobi's Yoroni Kakeru. It had 210 million at 623,551 streams. The number one song for 2019 was Official Higadandism's Pretender, and it had 106,792,543 streams. So basically, the numbers have doubled, Ticket number one has basically doubled over the course of the year. So if you were to take number one, 2019's number one, it would end up placing at number 10 this year. Mm-hmm. And that is significant. That's like super significant. But the other thing that I also wanted to mention is that these are domestic numbers only. I would be really, really curious to see how Yoruni Kakiru actually did overseas. Because my thinking, just based on based on like all the online conventions that I've been to, all of the online cosplayers and like VTubers, streamers, whatever that I've been watching, right? Outside of the domestic Japanese ones, they are covering this song like crazy. So people are listening. And I think this is the first time where I've actually seen like major international corporations do these kind of like Easter eggs for same time Japanese stuff. I don't think that's happened in like decades. What do you mean by like Easter eggs for same time Japanese stuff? So when something has gone viral in Japan, it's gone viral overseas at the same time, right? Mm. Like, I haven't seen that in a very, very long time. The biggest thing that immediately pops to mind is Doom, the game franchise, actually released um, an extension, a DLC for their game that actually referenced Korone, a VTuber, who was exploding in Japan at the same time this year. And so something that real time has never happened before. Mm. Maybe like Pokemon back in 97. So speaking of which, um, Spotify actually did release a list of the most played Japanese songs overseas for this year. Mm -hmm. Um, So number one was Lisa's Gurenge. Two was TK from Ling Tosite Segure Unravel. Three was Kanabun Silhouette. Four was Ikimono Gakari Bluebird. Five was the Eternal Champion, the number one song of the 2010s <laughs> by internationally, Teriyaki Boys, Tokyo Drift, Fast and Furious. Six was Yunezu Kenshi Peace Sign. Seven was Cinnamons and e- Evening Cinema, Summertime. Eight was Lisa Crossing Field. Um, nine was the Oral Cigarettes, Kyoran Hey Kids. 
and 10 was Vicky Blanca, Black Catcher. Mm -hmm. Teriyaki Boys. It's like the biggest, like it just sticks out sorely out of that list. It was the biggest song, the biggest Japanese song of the 2010s outside of Japan on Spotify. My question is, Spotify never releases their goddamn numbers. So I have no idea if like number 10 is like 100,000 streams or 50 million streams. But um, honestly, I think Dead Grandma said this and I actually believe him, but I wouldn't be surprised if next year because of a recent release on Spotify, if it's not an anime song or anime related at all. Wait, what you do you mean, mean? Like the older, older uh, releases that came out recently? He said it's basically going to be Maria Takeuchi's Plastic Love. Oh. Yeah, or um, there's another like older artist. The Miki Matsubara Stay With Me, which is n- currently number one worldwide on the viral chart for Spotify. Yes, her. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask about that, too, if, like, any of the older stuff will ever creep into, like, the Spotify lists. Definitely, because basically what you're going to see is that all of those songs that are going viral on YouTube, those city pop songs, they're now that they're all going to be on Spotify, that's all going to be, like, sorry, Hannah, it's not going to be your, near, your year next mm-hmm. year. When, like, basically, like, the city pop listeners, like myself finally have our stuff uploaded on streaming <laughs> we'll see about that <laughs> oh please there's more people listening to plastic love internationally than Garingay. sorry okay i'm curious of like domestic listeners of like the older like show pop <laughs> listeners i just feel show pop has been kind of like popping up of sort of like media coverage a lot more recently so i wonder if like if they ever release them the catalog on spotify you know It'll do numbers mm. there too. Because I remember a couple of years ago, it was like summer. It was like kind of like I'm trying to think of what it was like some car, and they were like basically they were like, oh, when we introduced this model 30 years ago, we had um this Yamashita Tatsuro song as like the CM song. So we're just gonna like reuse that song again. It's like so you'd rather use a 30-year-old song than like a new song. Interesting. And it's really funny because when you think about it, like, the question is, so you see the top 50 viral, and then you look at the breakdown by country, and it's like, where the hell are these people? Because you can have a song like that as number one, but the question is, like, where are they listening? And if it's a country like Argentina, it's not going to win against the United States. So Spotify actually said the top songs for Japanese music outside of Japan. And it actually kind of mirrors the stats for Rama as well. So it's the United States, Indonesia, and the Philippines in that order. And the thing with that is that if it's in that order, then the question is how many more city pop fans exist than anime fans? Because that's what you're really going to be pitting next year. Are you really mm-hmm. sure that there are more city pop fans than there are 
anime fans and you're going to be putting that stuff on repeat more than every anime fan in existence? I do think so because there are so many different animes and anime songs versus like a lot of people. Okay, so the the top 10 that you just mentioned, right? Mm -hmm. You can be like, oh, there's a lot of different anime, but the top 10 that you just mentioned have been consistently the top 10 for like the past five years with the exception of Kurenge. Mm-hmm. But the thing so I you... don't actually think the different anime franchises matter at all. Like a love liver is going to know that top 10 list like the back of their hand. But the, other thing, too, song. the other thing too I would say too is that like there have been so many random articles in mainstream like music press about city pop and about specifically plastic love. So, There's a difference between somebody playing it once because they thought it was funny. Oh no, and... it's been played millions upon millions upon millions of times across various videos on YouTube. Over the that song does not rank internationally on. YouTube charts for a reason. Because it keeps getting taken off. I, I personally mean, you know they also watch out. But uh-huh. when I was doing when I was doing this um this like chart for Spotify, they were talking about how, and I found this funny, some of the people that are actually listed in the top 10 internationally are completely like unknown in Japan. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I can definitely like, see that. I'm like, oh, you damn international fans. Like, you guys still can't get it together and get it, get on the same page as Japan. It's like when I was watching Jay Mello and they were just like, the number one act this year voted by our fans is Dear on Grey. And I'm like, what? Oh, yeah. Huh? I mean, talking about city pop, I feel like other East Asian countries are like kind of slowly picking up on city pop to like incorporate with their own music. Um, so I think it's gonna like it needs some more time to grow for like anime fan versus city pop fan to like be kind of equal. But I think it it might get there depending on like the actual accessibility of these like records hitting Spotify. I think it really depends because the problem with anime fans is that. It's very much like the emo subculture in the United States. It is very sizable, it's very big, and it's very deep. So for city pop to get to that level, you need that type of rant, a very, very rabid fan base. And my question is like, are you guys going to really be able to match that? We're talking like... Because I imagine City Pop, like, they're not, like you said, they won't listen to the same song over and over again. They'll, like, oh, yeah. they like to cruise around to see what other music is out, probably. They might, like, trickle in a playlist or two, or but, like, they'll be listening to other things. While, like, anime, anime fans, it's all they listen to. Yeah. So Yikes. it's very much just like, uh, like, yeah, sure, um... You may have, you may have like a bunch of pitchfork viewers and like 
hundreds of millions of people putting plastic love on their playlist, but they'll play it once, twice, maybe 10 times. Um, whereas an anime fan, I can't tell you how many times I have had to listen to that goddamn unra- Unraveled song. Like, oh my God, stop. But there are a lot more significant. And Tokyo Ghoul songs. It's a lot more significant to have a large number of people listening rather than just like a smaller number of dedicated fans. I mean, that's basically the whole premise of streaming versus physical. So that works when you reach a critical, critical, like tipping point number and city pop is not there. You have to reach very mainstream to get to the point where you can overcome a massive niche. Honestly, I would say that in the U.S. at least, Plastic Love is much more mainstream than Growing Dead. Sorry. I'm not seeing that talked about on, like, music websites. I don't care about music websites because music websites are also another niche. Like, you're not that mainstream. I'm talking about just, like, it's being suggested, like, I've had random people talk to me about Plastic Love, like, being suggested to them. Like, I've never heard anyone saying that, like, Lisa's Gurenge was suggested to them on YouTube. So it doesn't matter if it was suggested, right? It matters that they play it, it more than once. That's how people actually came across Plastic Love, was because it was suggested to them, and they and that's literally the, the, the whole thing about the algorithm of YouTube. That's how Plastic Love got to where it is. Garinge just doesn't have that going for it. But we no longer have that algorithm. That algorithm is gone. That mm-hmm. algorithm from five years ago, I know the glitch, right? That's no longer there anymore. So you have to ask yourself, like... They're still there, so, and they're still coming, so... Are you, are you really saying that, like, these people who got city pop suggested to them are going to go out of their way to listen to it now that it's on spotify maybe a small percentage but the question now that i think it's right to ask is is that small percentage going to be enough to tip over a major niche and the answer is no we don't we're gonna see but i just don't see those numbers coming out i don't see the valuation and I don't see I don't see the valuation coming out as strong as you or Dead Grandma might think it is. Mm-hmm. Because we're actual music listeners and not like anime fans. So we see things that y'all don't see. I also see the actual numbers and I see the valuations and they don't match. Mm-hmm. We're never gonna see a city pop discography go for a billion. What do you mean go for a billion? Like selling a billion? Yeah, because you can actually sell, you can buy and sell discographies, right? From one person to another. We're never gonna see that. Who's selling and buying discographies? Like People do that all the time. Like you can actually go out and bid on someone's entire body of work to buy the uh-huh. royalty rights. 
oh like royalty that's even like actually like buying this photography like actually going and like buying all their CDs. i was just like that doesn't cost a billion oh dollars. no it doesn't cost a billion for yeah, that it costs a billion for the royalties like, right yeah. and so the question is if city pop is going to be as big as you think it is then we should be seeing very very high valuations for all their songs and i'm just not seeing it hmm, okay like i said we shall see we'll see next year will be exciting but then it also reminded me of how like everyone was saying just like oh my god anime fans and j-pop fans are not the same thing you always say this no you actually, always say the correction all, all the comments are basically just like i can't talk to anime fans about japanese music you always say this no literally it's all, the comments, it's all the comments on the article because you always say this <laughs> i don't say this these are the readers saying this i mean you guys also said this about idol fans too so i don't take any of you guys seriously what do you mean when the idol boom was at its peak there was the entire like idol fans and j-pop fans are not the same thing and i'm like okay okay <laughs> But they're not like you literally like you literally like will see even even see now like a separation. I mean, there's a separation between hack Twitter and J-pop fans. That doesn't mean that I'm going to be like hack Twitter isn't J-pop fans. I would think that hack Twitter is more J-pop fans than idol fans. No, I would just be like that's two different types of like J-pop fans. It doesn't matter. But the thing is, though, is that they're both still musically related. And like I said, anime music is like its own thing, according to the IRAJ. Like we said on the Divas podcast episode, a marketing differential is not a musical differential. Okay, according to IRAJ, it is. But anyway, speaking of which, next year, we're definitely going to see a drop in sales because people were noticing that Oricon was being a bit shady with the numbers and not releasing as many numbers as they did last year. And people are suspecting that it's because there's a decrease and they don't want that to get out right now, but it will eventually. As in the spring when all the reports come out for this year. Like, what do you mean? Like basically how physical went down Oh, yeah. That's going to be a problem. Yeah, and that basically Oricon is, like, trying to, like, not reveal how bad it is before the IRAJ does. Because it's just, like, someone was like, Oricon used to show the top 100 or top 50 or top 100, like, numbers, and now they're only doing, like, top 20. What's with that? And I'm like, oh, that's not good. That is not a good sign. <laughs> so, oh, Rio, were you going to say something? Oh, no. So, what do you guys see for next year? Looking at what we had this year. So, personally, I think Lisa either really needs to break out of her niche or she's going to fall. At this point, she's looking like a bit of a one-hit wonder. So I'm wondering how this is going to play out. Yeah, at this point, she needs to like hop on another like anime franchise, but that's like still within its bubble. So I don't. Yeah, um, 
I don't know about that because when sometimes when people try to jump to another thing, it doesn't work. I just think of Nishino Kana's We Don't Stop, where she like flopped for the first time. And she's like, let me just go back to doing what I know best. The question is, I don't know if there is anything else that would be like Demon Blade like that big. Kimetsu no Yaiba was very um, unique. And it was like a culmination of 50 trends all at once that finally toppled the One Piece monster. So like, I just don't know if there will be anything that she can jump onto. (laughs) Yeah. And then you were saying before that like anytime she tries doing something outside of that, it kind of flops. Yeah, where she tried doing like a drama theme this year, it didn't work. Um, And all of her major, like Crossing Field being in the top 10 international is actually surprising to me, but it's also just like, oh yeah, I, I see that. It's another like, pop rock power ballad thing kind of thing so so do you think so out of between her and Aimeon who would you say you think has more of a future going forward I actually think Aimeon has a bigger future right I can't see Lisa beating her unless she breaks out of the demon slayer like thing yeah, I feel Aimeon is caught less in like the commercial, like the whole hustle of like like tie ups and stuff. She can like she'll co- contribute because that's what a pop star has to do. But she can just she doesn't really necessarily have to play that game. While Aimeon is like very beholden to these like franchises for her success. Mm. Mm. I mean, I'm checking the manga sales right now, right? And Kimetsu no Yaiba sold. 82 million copies last year so clearly this ship is not going to be sinking for a while but Lisa's going to have to find a way to break out of that when it does eventually sink which I guess will happen given the arc that we're in will probably happen within three years I also think like Aimeon's influence you can see with like younger singer songwriters apart from Lisa who are who has been like working with the style that's been handed down to her so it's kind of hard to really tell if people are actually listening to her. Yeah well Lisa also is like a very that's like a very uh it's like a very like you hear influences of Nana actually in Lisa's style. Like Mizuno Nano from way back when, although right. she's still she's still around. Yeah, like like I like I like I, like um Lisa is more of like she's working in this style that's been like been around forever. Yeah, I don't see see that like anything unique in her like music that will like you know like pass down to other people that can detect. Meanwhile, like I mean, I can see all these like acoustic guitar singer songwriters that like trying to capture that I mean, vibe. So I feel like, you know, if there's like longevity, you need sort of like someone to carry on your style, whatever that may be. And then like with Lisa, it's like a little less detectable. For real. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. I just want to see how Oricon 
starts hiding all of the major anime franchises that are going to be popping out because they keep on doing it every year and at some point something is going to break into the open and it'll be really funny to watch how they react how do they keep hiding them well okay so i don't want to i don't want to insinuate that it's some sort of like insidious like we're just going to be excluding these acts but for example for example um like I mentioned before, so if you look at the top Oricon earning artists, a 9 billion yen earning artist will put them solidly at number three. A Quars, the group, earned about 9.8 billion yen this year. But are they earning it? Where are they earning the money from, though? Only from albums and CDs. So... Um... I don't believe that. So this is from like a combination of all of their like subunits and everything, right? Well, subunits don't count. Subunits are going to be separate acts. So that's usually the justification that they use for saying like, hey, like, you know, this doesn't count because you're actually releasing as four separate groups that when you total them all up comes to 9.8 billion which is usually the justification for leaving them out, right? Yeah, like Snowman and Six Tones aren't counted as one act together. I mean, like, because you, like, that would be like counting, like, oh, let's just count all Johnnies as one act because they're all subunits of Johnnies. So these are the actual same people doing it. Now, what I'm saying is at some point, and I'm starting to really... I'm starting to really notice that like a lot of these acts are floating are floating closer and closer to the surface. Like first you had Muse, that took like 10 years, right? Then you had a Quars, you know, they didn't really have anything like Snow Halation, so that doesn't count. And now you have Nijikasaki, right? But in between you had a bunch of other anime acts that are getting like breaking closer and closer to the surface so i'm wondering what happens when one of those finally breaks over right and is next year going to be that year so are you thinking of like a sutopori maybe although i personally think it will probably be because they were number nine on oricon's album list this year it could be, but I actually think it's going to be one of the newer acts that debuted this year. Like who? Um, I'm probably actually going to list them when I do my top Annie song. Please look forward to this article. Um, when I do my top Annie song of 2020 as voted by Annie song fans, like a bunch of Annie song fans got together and all voted on what they thought or the top Annie song in Annie song related acts of the year. And the question is, is it going to be a pure anime franchise like Hypnosis Mike or Bang Dream or like even Argo Novice, right? Or is it going to be a hollow live act, right? And I don't think it will be hollow live, but who knows, maybe. Hmm. Okay. But um 
Speaking of which, one trend that we've been seeing the past few years, which continued this year, was men. <laughs> Your favorite trend. Um, yeah, because I was like looking when I did um, the Oricon album chart last night, all 10 albums were by male acts. Mm-hmm. So what do y'all think of this? The strongest Johnny's year that we've had in 13 years, I think it figures that it would all be men. <laughs> but in that list, there was only um, there was only two. It was Arashi and then King and Prince. So like, basically, I should just read the list of who it is. Yunezu Kenshi, Stray Sheep, Arashi, this is Arashi, BTS, Map of the Soul 7, The Journey, King and Prince, Land, BTS, Map of the Soul 7, King New, Ceremony, Mr. Children, Soundtracks, 1724H, Sutopori, Strawberry Prince, Official Higadendism, Traveler. More surprise of the rock acts making it. Like, it just seems undeniable because King New and Higadon is so big. But, like, considering, like, pop, I guess, like, dance pop and idol pop has dominated this list, it's, like, so kind of refreshing to have, like, you know, like a guitar act, I guess you can say. And then, like, the bottom of the Billboard charts, too, there's, like, Yoshika, there's, like, Back Number. So it's kind of nice to have, like, a rock act at the top. Mm-hmm. Well, like, going back, like, something we talked about earlier, like, why, like, she said, like, oh, like, it's strong as you for Johnny's. But, like, why are the other men doing so well? I mean, are we really surprised about BTS and Seventeen? Honestly, well, seventeen isn't really popular. Like seventeen doesn't have like a song that people can be like, "Oh yeah," like they don't have a dynamite. They don't have a boy with love. Boy with love did not chart in Japan. At well, I all. mean, like, I mean, like, well, you know, I just like think of BTS. I just don't. Really dynamite was not on either of these albums. Just saying. Well, they actually have a hit song. That's what I'm saying. Like, tw- like seventeen doesn't have a hit song. That's my point. BTS had a hit song in the past two months. Yes, but it was actually a hit song this year. Like, where is Seventeen's hit song? So the reason why I'm not even surprised about BTS and Seventeen is because, so there are, obviously I'm a big fan of VTubers and I listen to a lot of them. And there are literally like nobodies, right? That I will listen to. And people will ask them like, what do you listen to? And some of them will name 17. And I'm like, where the hell are you getting 17? So for me, when I see BTS 17, like both on the same chart and seeing BTS 17 and twice in the top 10 artists, I'm just like, oh, this is not surprising. When random Japanese people can be like, oh, I I hear people talk about K-pop at school and the two acts that they name aside from twice, are BTS and 17, I'm like, okay, that's that's relative popularity. Yeah, 17 is more popular than, like, the SM groups, I would say, besides, yeah. like, the traditional, like, you know, like, Toho Shinki or something. But 17 is, like, up shit up there as, like, a second tier. I would say they're at the top of the second tier. It's, it's become that point where people are like, oh, yeah, like, I know that band. That has, like, 20 million people. That's the other thing that they remember it by, yeah. They remember the fact that there are like 20 men just all dancing together. 
Yeah, but like, yeah, like they're way better than NCT. Yeah. Which is surprising because Seventeen has no Japanese members and NCT has like five. Exactly, yeah. They do? Yeah, NCT has several Japanese members. One of them has the same birthday as me. That's how I know. <laughs> is it you? Are you the Japanese one of the Japanese members of NCT? Maybe. <laughs> oh, interesting. Interesting. <laughs> so I had a question to ask you guys, but um how do you think Yo Sobi will like tur- um, turn out next year? Like you think this is like a fluke and like they won't catch on or I don't see it because I'm just looking and like they've released so many digital singles after this one and like they haven't really like there hasn't really been a growth that's true so I think Ronald is on that side and I'm actually on the other side I don't see say I don't see like Yoruni Kakiru numbers, but I do see significant I see significant growth. Right? Where ignore the first single because that one's a big fluke, right? But you had a bunch of songs that every time they release, it just goes higher and higher on the JPN Hot 100, right? And their peak positions keep on increasing every single time they release. The RIAJ numbers are actually getting better and better each time. Um, so, and Haljion, Harujion actually ranks on karaoke. So I do see a future, especially because when ISF writes for other people, it actually ends up doing really well. Yeah, like... They had the they definitely had the name recognition as oh the Yoni Kakeru person. But then right now on TV, I think they're still doing like who is this person right now? So it's like hard to yeah. tell. Well, for one thing, they've never been on TV performing and they've never even performed live. Like their the first that, live performance is gonna be co-op. Yeah, which is crazy to think about. Oh yeah, my I, god. Imagine they stream from their home. <laughs> Oh my god. I totally see that happening. It'll be like it'll be like um like Kenshi when he streamed from like the park by his house. And and where is he from? Kyushu? Yeah. You know what's really funny? So if you watch the the first take, uh the first take videos, right? There's actually a Yorinin Kakeru uh first take video. But you can clearly tell it's from a different studio than every single one of the other ones. Isn't and it's the first take from home version. Yeah. yeah. So it's clearly done either at ISA or Ikura's home. Um, Imagine this the same studio they use your cock. I don't know, but like something, something doesn't sit right in my spirit with. <laughs> With like, I feel like they have something to hide. I feel like they have something to hide. No, I just think they have extreme social anxiety. Like, I don't want my stars to have social anxiety. 
I think that's like, I think, no, I think like, that's a great thing. It's a horrible thing because like, if you're trying to be in the media, you should be, you should be like, like I, I can understand like being mysterious and having an enigma, but I don't see mystery in them. What? I see total mystery in them because they're stuck at home. No, I just don't see like an, a, an aura, a mystery, a glamour about them. That like kind of just, just want your hat Twitter I back. Kind of just like I just kind of see it as kind of just like, and eh. like we don't really like talking to people because we're afraid. I, I think, think I say went on TV a couple times with like Kanjun and stuff. He's just like an ordinary guy, so he it's not much to, you know, and like 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 a like a Kenshio Nezu type where it's just like he's like this dark mysterious person he's like an ordinary guy who just likes making music so I don't know how to spin that angle in sort of interesting way and I also think it's really funny because when ISF writes for other people those songs do like do really really well <laughs> what songs is even for other people besides that one of um Lisa and Uru I think he's actually written for um he's written for Heisei Jump before. Oh, like really? way back in the day. Yeah. And he's also written for a couple of other people. I don't recognize too many of them. But yeah, he's starting to like branch out. So it's it's clearly there. Like, I want, like, this is very hopeful. I don't think it'll happen, but um, I want, like, Yosovi's popularity to really, like, trickle down to, like, the other YouTube, like, Vocaloid adjacent people, like, Zutomayo or, like, Yama, those, like, YouTube uploads, like, anime imagery on them. Yeah. Like, those sorts of types that, like, pop up on your sidebar as an algorithm recommendation, but they're actually, like, pretty good. It's, like, there's such a great community of musicians. Like, I would love it to, like, like reach like a Yoroshika type of popularity at least. I would love for all of them to do really well because that would mean a continuation of my reign on this podcast. <laughs> a continuation of your reign? Girl, what are you talking about? It is totally my year. Like, I love the fact that USOB is number one and it's just like a, it's like an undisputed number one right because they are so my people um shut-ins yes <laughs> like for me personally i want them to do extremely well because them and lisa doing extremely well means like anime will be taken seriously <laughs> well the fact that you have to struggle for to be taken seriously Shush. Huh. Whatever. Um, we rule the world. <laughs> what do you say? We rule the world. Oh my god, go buy your Totoro bag as you're I sucked totally into consumerism. We're totally consumers. I know. So people are just gonna go and sponge more money out of you guys. It's um, okay. I want. <laughs> so okay. So what other things, like, the other big thing this year was COVID. And we already talked about how, like, that basically is going to, like, depress record sales. But then it's also, like, 
it cut off all, not all, but like a lot of live events. Like they all canceled back in February and then they came back for a bit and now everything's being canceled again. No more countdown Japan. I mean, I don't know why they can't just like have like a, like do like IU and have like low fucking audience. Why not just make it a streaming event? I wish it was streaming, but I guess they just can't have that without the fans. Have y'all watched any of the streaming shows? So, fun facts. I know one person that I follow on Twitter has literally been to 250 streaming events. Oh. And counting. I don't know if that's an accurate number. I think I might be off by like 100. As in like lower by 100. So I've asked him to actually rank all the platforms for me. And it turns out um, Japan really needs to have better platforms. <laughs> mm, I remember you saying that the other day. Um, I personally am someone that will not really watch a stream really. Cause it's kind of just like, like if we were just like, oh, like I'm not even someone that really will like buy concert DVDs or like watch concerts. So I'm kind of just like, it doesn't really do it for me unless I'm actually physically there. You don't get the romance. Yeah, I don't get the realness. So it's like, I'd rather just like, if I'm gonna sit there and watch a stream, I would rather just like, you know, listen to like the actual music rather than watch a stream. But I will say, um, Sakon Action's stream was nice. That one you was don't really get the romance. I did watch the Johnny's ones too. I did watch those, the free ones. Kind of sucks that you need like a certain capital to make your streaming shows engaging. Like, all, like the ones I've watched are like the, you know, the bigger acts, like the Kyaki Zaka shows. Like, mm-hmm. there's so much budget to them that like a regular indie rock act of just filming from a venue, it it doesn't stand a chance. It is really sad that I think. It's definitely a matter of capital, but I also would say that there's so much technology out there that you can actually make it super engaging if you thought just a little bit outside of the box. Um, And what I mean by that is, so a good example is like Comic Con, right? Comic Con um, this year had to be completely virtual because the number of attendees that go would mandate a socially distanced line from Odaiba in Tokyo all the way to Kyoto, right? Six times back and forth. So they were like, this is not gonna happen. Um, so what they did was they actually set up the concert in VR chat. Not the concert, the, the entire like comic hit venue was in VR chat. And that got me thinking Sure, like you need some level of capital in order to make your concerts really engaging if you're just like an indie band. But at the same time, there are also um, 
there's also software and ways of making your concerts like super fun for viewers if you just don't have that sort of capital. And the one that got me thinking that the most was actually Haru Nemuri's stream from earlier this year where she titled the stream Unused Visa. In oh, reference. right, because you're supposed to come to the U.S. Yeah, exactly. And it was called like Unused Visa. I thought it was super engaging. I loved how she engaged with all the super chats and stuff. And it was actually just really fun because it was her, a camera, and a stage. And I was like, this is actually a really great show. So I feel like the potential is there. You just have to think a little bit outside the box. Yeah, like, I think Idol, like, I saw um, uh, the Idol group Reutist have a stream show. And what their cool thing was, like, they play all their albums front to back, eat, like, three different nights. Yeah. Like, cool I little set that. list would do as well. Like, I know uh, Hitsuji Bungaku did that, too, where they did uh, their EPs front to back and then their, like, full albums. So yeah. You need, like, cool ideas like that, I guess, if you don't have, like, a big budget. Exactly. And I feel like the more um, these acts realize that streaming is not a limitation. It's actually freedom to do a lot of things that you can't actually do in a physical venue. Like, one thing that um, SKE and Riel both did was actually, like, live stream all of their chats were on the big screen. So you could actually see yourself on the stream. If you just posted with the right hashtag, I think for SKE and for real, if you just like posted in the YouTube chat, you could actually see yourself on stage, which was really cool. So there's like a bunch of ways that you can kind of get around that limitation. And once you realize what the new quote unquote limitations are, there's like so many other things that you could do. And the biggest one that I'm thinking of is actually the Fortnite Yonezu Kenshi concert. That one was really cool, where he had a concert in Fortnite. That was funny, because everyone was like avatars there, and just like a big old screen in the sky. Yeah, and I'm just like, why don't more people do this? I mean, we're in a world where we can't attend concerts. Like, plenty of people have 3D technology. (laughs) I saw and I thought it was weird. I was just like, uh, it well, doesn't. That's because it, it, you don't get video games. <laughs> it, just, it just wasn't engaging to me. Like I was just like, like to me, it doesn't feel like, like to me, these things they don't feel like they're not a they're not a good replacement for a concert. Sorry, I'd rather just like do something else. Like it's not like just the idea of just like paying to watch you play when. Like, I would rather just watch, like, I don't know. It's like paying to watch Music Station. So I think that's the main difference. You're not the type of person to even pay to watch Music Station. Like, that that's not something you would do. Whereas I feel like me and Ro are more on the side of, like, we would definitely pay to watch something like this if it's done well. Because I get the romance of interacting with my artists. I think that's the whole thing is that like, I'm not someone that really like craves interaction. 
yeah interaction is great like i'm kind of just like you're here to give me a product you're not here to be my friend i don't want friends i want an artist <laughs> you want fan service and coddling and all that jazz oh hell no i just want the artist but you want interaction. Like, I think that's something different than just wanting the artist. I would say interaction with the artist is not necessarily fan service. Like, I love the idea of being able to vote for a set list. For me, like, I, I mean, like, that sort of engagement, that connection is, like, really important for me. Because, like, all the ones I like, they're idol groups. And that's what they, like, thrive doing, you know. Like, like Ronald said about not, like, fan service, not, like, directly handshaking, but, like, really addressing you and, like, reading your comments, making you so part of the show. So, like, that's what I like already, I guess. So that's what, like, stood up for me. Yeah, I feel like if I was to vote for a set list that like I would end up hating the set list and being bitter. <laughs> so I'm just like, oh, you don't God, get. <laughs> like, there's like, like a beauty to knowing what everyone likes. Like it's part of the reason why like there are some artists that I love that I would never go see. Um, actually, I take that back because like. When I was in Japan, I was thinking about going to go see Misha, and then I eventually did see Misha because she was just here. But like, I was thinking about going to go see her, and I was just like, no, because if I go see her, I'm going to be like very like disappointed because she's going to do just like everything and I know Katachi and like a bunch of other like ballads, which I don't want to hear. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, this idea of just like voting for a set list is kind of just like it's, it feels like I'm setting myself for disappointment. Yeah, so you don't get the romance. I get the romance of actually being there, like watching a screen. Just, I'm just not that person. Also, I think, I think the other thing is that I remember at all the concerts we went to, you don't, we usually would go to concerts where there's no real fan <laughs> engagement. I don't um, mean, I don't mean from the artist. I mean from the fan side. There's oh, actually, like your your like gay tiger thing you do. Yes. Oh, yeah, God, gay tiger! Oh my God! It's called tiger. What is it called? Ea tiger. Oh, did you call it? Oh, those those called like gay tiger or something. Oh my God! You're gonna, gonna get canceled. You're gonna get us canceled. Oh my God, you constantly think I'm going to get somebody canceled. But I thought it was, um, but like, yeah. Okay, so me and Hannah, just so you guys know, we've been to a number of concerts, a, a number, a few. Like we saw Hoshino Gen, and he encouraged us to say fuck. <laughs> and Alexandros, where I got hit by a Japanese housewife, probably in the first row. Um, Misha. Which Hannah yeah. thought was which Hannah thought was like a cultural appropriation concert. Oh yeah. It wasn't. Um It totally was. It was not. Um, who else have we seen? We were gonna go see Radwimps, but then that was canceled. We were gonna go see 
we were going to go see Haruni Mori. And then that was canceled. Mm-hmm. Is that it? I think so. But most of the concerts that we went to, the groups are very normy. And so they were just very like, we're just going to stand in the concert and watch this person play live. Yes, they're all like me. And I love that. I love like literally, that's why I like Japanese concerts that I go to. Because like literally, it's just like a bunch of people standing there, like bobbing their head. Yeah, so you guys are very, you don't, there's no audience romance. But we've seen very normie acts, as you would say. We saw Misha, Hoshino, Gen, and somebody else. Alexandros. Alexandros, yeah. Yeah. Whereas, like, I think if I went with Ro, like, we would go to more idol acts, and then you would see the yakais get unleashed. <laughs> oh, I forgot. We were supposed to go to um, OtaQuest together, but then you went to go to KCON. I'm sorry. KCON has more tigering potential. Um, you were supposed to go see Acors the day after. Yeah. During, during which there was an earthquake. Oh, yeah. I remember that. I remember feeling it and being like, what was that? I wasn't at the concert. But yeah, so like, I guess that's like, as Hannah would say, I'm a normie, as my four accent test would say too. Yeah, you are, you are a normie. But yeah, so anyways, for those of you who don't know, um, the, the point of tigering is that there are things that fans can do amongst themselves that make being part of the crowd so much more interesting. And this is like super important to my enjoyment of a concert. But you wouldn't do it at every concert. Like you're not gonna do that when you go see Misha. I mean, I don't like Misha in the first place, so no. Why did you go then? Because it was part of the, it was part of the, the thingy. Japan Day. Yeah. So it was I just. Personally, I personally love Misha. I think she's like, I think she's in my top 10 on Last of Misha is very boring to me. Oh my God. You just like love to hate. Misha's boring and she's a sister wife. That's Milia. Milia's a sister wife. Oh, I guess I'm mixed up. <laughs> How do you get Milia and Misha mixed up? They're like the same person. They are definitely not the same person. They're basically the same person. Like you think Kukibaka 46 and Ikanaka 48 are the same thing? Well, you basically do. <laughs> but they're, oh my God, I can't believe you confused Milia and Misha. I'm so, I'm so, oh, you're getting fired from the podcast. <laughs> but yes, anyways, the thing is, the acts that Yo and I like are much more fan engagement heavy. And so I think that's the main reason why we're able to see like acts through, through the screen. Because the acts that you can see through the screen are the ones that encourage like fan engagement. Do you not like Hoshino Gen or you went to, you, you went to go see Hoshino Gen because you thought he was hot? I mean, Hoshino Gen, I would still see, 
Like I saw his digital concert. I paid for it. The one where he was just wearing an oversized sweater. Yeah, like it was actually really fun because he was still talking to the camera and still trying to make an effort to interact with his fans. And so by being there and by being on Twitter and like seeing what all the other fans were saying, you could actually get a somewhat decent fan experience that way. You know what, thinking about it, I tried watching his Netflix concert. I couldn't even finish it because I was just like, I'd rather be doing something else. I love seeing those kind of things like real time because I love interacting with all the with all the the other fans at the same time mm-hmm. and so I'm the type that will literally like this week I was not successful but I would actually like try to make my best effort to wake up at 4 a.m in the morning to watch a whole live concert Okay. okay. Hannah, do you want to talk about VTubers? So VTubers are very funny because I was actually just talking to Ro about it um, right before we got started because I actually think VTubers will be very big in kind of promoting Japanese culture outside of Japan because they're gaining so much traction in the United States. By so much, I mean like a fair amount. <laughs> like where? They've actually set up a formal agency for them. It's that point. Um, I wanna say that like people like Pokemon have started entering the mainstream conversation um, albeit for reasons outside of VTubers, namely for interacting with like people like AOC. But yeah, you actually see them starting to like trend in the conversation. And so in a way, I feel like they're going to be very, very big in promoting particularly Japanese music overseas. And so it'll be interesting to see if that changes things at all. I don't like filters. What? I don't like, I feel like the, I feel like, v, when you're talking about like, when you talk about VTubers promoting Japanese music overseas, I literally cringed. Like I physically like cringed. Because I'm basically just seeing just like the VTuber covering the song and then people wanting to listen to the VTuber instead of the actual song. I feel like most people tend to search for the actual song as well. So you kind of get both. Hmm. I think it's just because like I, I think because it's like the way I personally consume music. Mm-hmm. I'm not consuming it through another medium. Like, I'm not watching a drama and being like, oh, the theme song. I'm not watching an anime and being like, oh, the theme song. Like, I'm literally, like, seeing it because I'm, like, looking at, like, articles about releases. I feel like like you don't depend on recommendations. And so that's why you don't really care about it. But people tend to, like, because they're not as obsessed with music as we are, 
they they tend to depend on others for recommendations. And so recently, I have seen a lot of my anime friends go like, oh, you know, Yonezu Kenshi has peace sign, but like I've been introduced to other songs from him this year because of VTubers. And so they'll be like, content is an amazing song. <laughs> and I'm like, what? How do you know about this song? And they're like, oh yeah, like, this Hololive person covered it last week. So are you saying that if there were VTubers around like 15 years ago, more video game fans would know about these Hada songs that were not in Kingdom Hearts? Yes. Hence why they would, and they would, and they would be, it would stop bugging her every time they get to interact with her. <laughs> and she well, would I can't help you there. Kingdom Hearts is a very big game. Because every time someone, she's like, um, I've said this several times before in various interviews over the years, but I don't play those games. I'm more like someone that plays puzzles, like Tetris. I think what a lot of people don't understand is that a franchise like Kingdom Hearts gains fans every day. Well, it didn't gain Utada as a fan. Yeah, but she doesn't understand that either. That like, like for example, Kodokumi gained a ton of new fans when Final Fantasy X2 was re-released. I don't think she reacted as badly. Well, when your albums are selling 6,000 copies, you can get. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like that Spotify uh, chart we went over earlier, right? Where like so many anime songs dominated. So they're like, um, discovering all this J-pop or what have you through these like through all the through different media mm. they really I'm more receptive to like listen to it if it's like a media you already like so it's like a you just sort of hop like you know hop onto these other ones from there I just need to like not be so self-centered you just need to understand that people have different ways of consuming music. <laughs> like, people were shocked recently that I don't listen to music outside of my house. What? I don't listen to music outside of my house. How? You saw the DM the other day. Like, I kind of like, like to, I like the sounds of the street. I like to be aware of noises around me. Mm, that makes sense. Actually, kind of just like their car. Okay, it came out when you when you guys thought when you guys thought I when I almost got hit by a train because I was listening to my iPad iPod. Uh, that when like that I almost sense. I almost got hit by a train because I didn't hear it coming because like I was listening to my iPod. And ever since then, I've not listened to music outside. Oh, I love listening to music outside. Especially when I'm walking, actually. <laughs> I used to, but then after, like, I almost got hit by a train, it was, like, not a priority of mine. <laughs> yeah. And plus, like, I like to be able to hear songs that people are playing out in public. Really? Yeah. Okay, that's different. I usually think people don't have good taste. <laughs> I, like to, I like to hear American general public songs. You know, I like to know, I kind of like sometimes like to know what the general public in the country I actually live in, like, and not just Japan. 
You should oh, try it. I definitely, I definitely do not. <laughs> I know. That's why when you're just like, I'm listening to the Megan the Stallion album, I'm kind of just like very confused. Or when you say, I love Beyonce, I'm like, okay. Yeah, I, I love Beyonce every it's, once in a while. It's not convincing at all. Please stop. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think like, I just need to like realize people consume things in different ways. Not, mm -hmm, not mm -hmm. like me where they like are just going straight to the source. Yeah, not everybody does that. <laughs> Um, are there any little like pockets of the society, not society, of like the industry or just like pop culture this year that you would like to spotlight, Rio? Not really. You already covered it from like, you know, a lot of what I liked is like, uh, like learning about music through YouTube and we sort of covered that with like, yo, Asobi. So, um, just everything just living online basically. Because that's where we have to really like engage with music, find it, you know. Mm -hmm. Like everything that we're doing is like online. Especially yeah. now. Yeah, like one of my favorite stories, I think, is um, this, with the this rap collective named Zoom Gals. Like oh, it's like it's like oh, only what happened during COVID because of you know like Zoom being a popular app and we have to like talk through Zoom. What these rappers did was like they just made a song together just using COVID as an excuse to like link up and then they're ex like literally their songs called zoom and then their entire video is like using the zoom app like every each screen will have them and stuff and then from there they would start collaborating with each other make songs on other people like albums and stuff so like stuff like that where like collaboration is more encouraged through all these internet interactions i guess kind of like now oh yeah that is true <laughs> we are, are interacting we, through zoom. Are Thank you. zoom gals now zoom gal podcasters oh god um this may sound kind of weird but like i feel like i already spotlighted johnny's because like like i i feel like I feel like Johnny's was like such a neglectful company that now that they're actually like getting it together, I'm just like, oh my God, you're doing your job, amazing. I know I shouldn't be, but like I am. And also too, I just feel like there's like been like such an increase in the quality of music. I oh, mean, yeah. like, okay, so like it's no secret that like I have a Johnny song in my top three this year, which is um, King and Prince Maisie Night. Like, I don't think I would have put a Johnny song. I think last year I put the Arashi song, um, the turning up a J-pop song. I think I put that like at number 10. And the fact that like now there's a Johnny song in that's number three. I mean, like, I feel like there is definitely something happening in Johnny's. And one thing I really liked this year was that there were a lot of like rap albums I really enjoyed. Oh, rap was such a, rap had a great year, I would say. Oh, yeah. And it was, like, on multiple different fronts. I mean, like, even Hannah's, like, world came into mine with the hypnosis mic. Rap is and, such an interesting place right now where, like, an artist like Renee is really huge. And then, like, mm -hmm. 
uh, what's like so accessible to people who don't even listen to rap like they know they're rapping but it's like otherwise than that it's such a pop song where mm-hmm. like you're so used to like you know like people who do trap songs like like the candy town crew and then like, you have you know people coming up from like like the creepiness where it's like battle rapping so it's like really nice to have like a more of a pop entry with rap this year yeah it's like there's several different like fronts as far as like rapping goes because like because then you also have like one of my personal favorite acts this year, Bad Hop. Like, I really thought their album was really great. And then I got to interview JP the Wavy this year, who like also had an album I really enjoyed. And um, Hannah was not too happy about when I asked about cultural appropriation, which he likened to sampling. And had a was, really interesting concert too where it's like a blending yeah. of like 3d graphics with the actual venue i actually actually i forgot i actually did watch his his live stream concert so i guess like there are some people that i'm willing to like watch a live stream for mm-hmm. <laughs> oh there's something i wanted to bring up um regarding like so like we had Niju this year and JL1 this year where like basically Korean companies are making J-pop and then it's like this debate of whether like oh like what this what's idol pop going to sound like using you know K-pop as an influence now we have like you know LDH are trying to do K-pop themselves but there's like a new sort of sound where like this is the other way around where like Korean companies are guessing what J-pop sounds like. And basically, you know, we get the, you get like whatever Twice sounds like with Niju and then we have mm-hmm. JL1 trying to like, it's such a mix of like this, I don't know. I don't want to say like lame, but it's like, like lame cool kind of boy band taste with the edgy K-pop, you know, like production. So it's like a really unique <laughs> mix with this game of telephone going on between k-pop and j-pop companies i feel like it's kind of like in a way i feel like the past seven or so years the two lanes have actually separated more than they have before because before that like k-pop and j-pop actually work together quite often and in a way like the two couldn't survive without the other so it was only around like 2013 where you really had like a formal separation between the two and so now we're actually getting like a closer to reversion of the norm so it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out in the actual music hmm that is interesting yeah and then like the idols themselves are like looking at k-pop like they look at 17 they look at blackpink and like you know we have like hello project idols doing k-pop dance covers so they're like actually listening to this stuff like they don't make the music but if you know like they can actually like literally fit the mold if, if anything like i think uh equal love was in like one of the lists of like people that resembles k-pop especially oh, yeah, with, like a cameo video, very, at least visually. Very, yeah. 
So it's like even you know like they're catching on that like people like K-pop like in the idol world too. Mm -hmm. But do the fans actually like this though? That's I the think the fans are very divided. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But it's just like uh, it's just like really interesting what Japanese think people think K-pop sounds like, and then we have what Korean people think J-pop sounds like, and the two actually like interacting with each other, which is kind of funny. Yeah, I find it weird when J-pop fans, when K-pop fans say that like some K-pop song sounds like J-pop, and it basically ends up being like it sounds like an anime song. Oh yeah. Like Dreamcatcher is mostly anime songs or G Friend. When they're like, "Oh, this sounds like an uh, this sounds like a J-pop song," they really mean, "Oh, this sounds like it could be the ending to Madoka." <laughs> yeah, I would like, hear these songs and be just like, "What J-pop song is that?" I think it's just funny that like, oh, we'll make a J-pop song with like J what JYP did was with Twice and Niju is like really cute, really like you know really almost childish in a sense but it's oh, like yeah. that's what's hits like it could have been any like pocket of j-pop but that's what they like stuck with but like it does sound like j-pop and that's the funniest part where i feel like jo1 didn't even get the balance right until their second single yeah, that's i like aoa like a lot just because of that yeah same I didn't actually think the first single sounded like J-pop at all. I was just like, oh, this K-pop with uh, Japanese lyrics. <laughs> yeah, and the, that I agree with. Yeah, that's what the other like produce offshoots sort of sound like. It, but you know, it's it's interesting in their own ways. Yep. Whereas, like the second one was like, wow, I really feel like I could have seen this as a Johnny song like ten years ago. <laughs> Really? Yeah, I feel like if Johnny's had just tried with NYC or oh, something. You know, I mean, like an actual, an actual Johnny song. I was no, just no, no. It sound I like feel a like. Oh no. no, no, no! I mean, like if they had tried, it, it just might sound as good. It just sounds like something from like a gay club in two thousand one. I remember tweeting that, and then like some gay Japanese GL1 fan was just like, they made it for the gays. And I'm like, thank you for the confirmation. What AOA reminded me of is like, actually the Stardust boy bands like Bullet Train yeah. and uh, uh, Super Dragon, where like, it's ironic because they're like, really looking at K-pop for influences, but it's like that sensibility of like, not like completely edgy. They're like still sort of silly. It's like a good middle line between like the two. And it's great because you see the two. Oh, sorry. Okay, I can't no, tell if you like these two or not. Because it sounds like you're always just like, they're kind of lame. They're kind of silly. Like, do you like them or do you not? I, I do, but it's like, you know, it's not like the very professional, very like sophisticated dance stuff. It's like they like to have fun and like really mm -hmm. loose. It's like it's like it's so hard to like explain. It's like how like the like the, I'm just I'm just gonna sound like I don't like them anymore, but like the pump, like that kind of taste. Oh, um, you know where it's like like kind of cringy. 
but yeah, fun. Yeah, it's cool. But like how like so when USA was out, uh, dasakakoi was like a term they used. Yeah. But you know, it's like a scale up from that in terms of like coolness. But there's still some sort of like underlining, like, well, we're like kind of silly too. We like to have fun. So this like clean cut, like edgy, uh, very like top of the line style. What were you going to say, Hannah? No, I think that's exactly how I would agree with too, because there's just like an awareness that they are not, they're not like the shit, right? They understand that they don't have to be because that's actually kind of cool. Okay. And now wrapping up, I want your favorite song and favorite album from this year, starting with our guest. Yes. Okay, so my favorite album, I guess it's kind of cheating, but it's Asaki's uh, Heavy Angry Cat with Hyper Angry Cat, which actually is like a double disc of my two favorite. It's her album, Your Wonderland, and her great AP, uh, it's Ianni Yeh. Well, what oh she God, is is like crazy. she's a like a she's a rapper, I guess you can say. Um, that sort of like combines all these like underground underground electronic trends of like you know like someone like uh, whatever idol group Cyber like that kind of yeah. Like, someone like like Snail's House. You go people mm-hmm. like that, as well as like Future Base of some like Future Base, but melding that into their production. Someone like Marsishima Soshi and Kotono House is actually the makers for the Your Wonderland album. Um, the EP actually is from Trekkie Tracks' uh, Masayoshi Imori. It's like the sound is like what you would describe as like hyper pop, very crunchy, very lo fi, very blown out, very like aggressive dance music. Um, what I like about her, besides like the sound though, is like, She's really talking about all these like topics about depression and like um, dark stuff like that, and just very uh, making it pop, making it re- like like where you're you're here for you, very supportive like that. So it's like nice to have a voice who sort of understands that. Besides, like, like yeah, that's probably her. It's my favorite album. Um, her song is like the same as her so like instead of that I'll probably pick uh, Aerie's Sparkle uh, the singer songwriter Aerie um, from this album with the same name Sparkle um, she's just an R&B artist I like I just really like um, I think it sounds like very now um, it's not very like crazy with the production very smooth uh, and then just the same thing the lyrics are just about like you know, going, um, going, th- go- you're like going through the motions, but it's okay. That kind of vibe. So it's like a good pick me up throughout the year. Mm-hmm. Okay. And now Hannah. It's actually really funny that Ryo said Asaki because I was actually very close to picking Asaki too. <laughs> But I did not because I chose So Alice by Migma Shelter was probably my favorite album. Like Asaki just missed because I was also going to pick Hypercat. So 
funny, funny. Where I actually think, like, I think Asaki's great because Hypercat had that, like, super aggressive side that I think her, um, the, the first original album earlier this year didn't have. But then Migma Shelter's Alice, ha- like, takes that, that, like, dark undercurrent that you really hear in the beginning half of Hypercat and draws it out. And I love how they do it. It's very, like, they call them, like, trance idols, which I actually think is, like, a very good term for them. Because you do hear that, like, sense of, like, you're in an idiom club. And it's very, it's very turbulent. Like, you hear all these ups and downs. And the way that they incorporate it into their album is super amazing. And then my favorite song from the year is very, very unsurprisingly, Keaki Zaka's Darega. Uh, because my main contender for the 2020 song of the year is not necessarily going to be what I thought was the best, but what I thought captured the essence of 2020 really well. And Ronald is never going to let me put a K-pop song on because I would have chosen eight otherwise. Um, but the thing about it is that the song... It's still very Keakizaka. You still have that heavy edginess that you get from Fukuon. But what makes it so special is because just at the height of the lockdowns, you get a song about how everyone wants to talk about being a hero, but nobody actually wants to do anything about it. And so in a way... I thought that was actually very reflective of 2020 where like people want all these special things, but they refuse to take the action to get to the next step. And so I was like, Oh, this is exactly the song that I need. So yes, that is how I thought of 2020. So yeah, Ronald, your turn. Okay. So, um, so I'll do my song first. And for all the talking I do about how I mainly listen to men, my number one song is by a female act. And even more (laughs) significant, for all the talking I do about how I don't really like idol groups and how I don't really like LDH, I picked E-Girls Best of Kite as my song of the year. Why did I pick it? Because it came out at the end of January. I thought it was kind of cute. But then the thing is, though, is that, like, it has such an optimistic message to it about, like, looking forward to, like, the future. Because, like, they released this song a couple of weeks after it came out that they were going to be disbanding at the end of the year. And then so they were basically looking forward to their future post-E-Girls. And it was kind of related to me because it was kind of just, like, looking forward to the world after lockdown and even now like after corona so yeah i picked e-girls best of high i think i think honestly it is i was gonna say it's one of the best like pop songs i've heard in a while but it's obvious that if it is if i've named it my number one song of the year 
And then, oh, my number one album was like a hard choice because like, I have this thing of, okay, I will say I like, I had a lot more songs this year that I liked, like individual songs. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Then I had albums. Like when I went and I was doing my list, it was like the song list. I was just like, okay, here are like a good 20 that could be in the list. But then when albums, it was just like, okay, here's 11 that could be in the list. And I still got to chop one out before I make my full like top 10 list. But I spoke about it a bit earlier and I decided I'm going to go with Bad Hop's Bad Hop World. I know. It has some- to be the lamest title ever. <laughs> I did not say anything about your troll music, ma'am. Excuse me. My picks this time around were very serious. The troll picks were for Reels List. <laughs> okay. So I picked Bad Hop's Bad I think Bad Hop's Bad Hop World because basically I feel like this was a very strong year for hip hop in Japan. Mm. And out of all of the albums that came out, I mean, like there were several, there was like the KZM album. There was, we were talking about this a few minutes ago. There was the Co album. There was the JP the Wavy album. And then like branching off to other bits of hip hop, there was like Hypnosis Mike. And I just felt like the Bad Hop album was the one that appealed to me the most. Mm-hmm. And then also too, like the whole idea of the album because they were supposed to have their big Yokohama Arena concert um, earlier this year in March and then it was canceled due to COVID. And then like mm-hmm. they basically created the album through fan crowdsourcing of funds so then the fans got access to the album first and then the public got access to it later but um everyone should know by now that i'm really into production and i feel as if like the production on that album is immaculate and also like there's several different messages in the album like it's not just like like some rappers will just talk about just like how like there's japan has many different types of rappers like there's like kind of like the fun pop rappers then there's like those ones that are like fake want to be thugs i want to talk about just like doing this and doing that when they don't really do it but anyone that knows the bad hop story knows that they didn't exactly have the best lives before becoming rappers and Sure, they have some like of the more like braggadocious songs, but then they also have like songs that are a bit more depressing. Like there's a song called Suicide on the album. And then I remember like my personal number two song of the um, of the year is from the album. It's called Bayside Dream. And basically it's just about continuing on despite adversity. And I remember like listening to the song and like it had like this one line where it was just like, I was recording in LA when I found out that my grandmother died. Like who puts that in a rap song? But isn't just, that like more realistic to you? <laughs> yeah. 
it's more realistic to me. Like, like they have like some of like the more like flashier songs, but then like the kind of like the ones that are kind of like more like realistic and depressing and like more about like real life. I find that I actually like those a bit more. You mean they're more relatable? Well, I don't have like, yeah, they're relatable, like, like to real life. Like mm-hmm. not me personally, but just like life in yeah. general. People do struggle in life. And I feel like, especially like with hip hop, how like it was born out of people struggling. And a lot of that has been lost due to like, just like the flash and like the persona. Or it's kind of like people going and like faking struggle. Names will not be mentioned here. (laughs) Yeah, people like faking struggle where it's kind of just like, like, I remember watching the documentary about them that came from Kawasaki and, like, literally, like, the place they came from was, like, nothing but, like, nasty industrial wasteland, basically. And, like, some of them have, like, asthma and, like, health conditions due to, like, where they lived growing up. So it's just, like, yeah, you guys actually did have a struggle. And it was just, like, very refreshing to see a side I feel like I was seeing like a side of Japan that like you often don't see where it's kind of like the lower class basically mostly because it usually gets censored out yeah yeah a lot of it is kind of just like like Japan has this whole thing where just like they believe everyone is middle class but not everyone's middle class there's obviously very wealthy people and it's obviously poor people. And it's kind of just like, I don't want to say I sound voyeuristic, but like it almost is a bit now that I think about it. But it also like gives a voice to people who don't normally have a voice. So yeah, that's my bit about Bad Hop's Bad Hop World, which Hannah thinks is a crap title. Oh, and by the title for a good album. <laughs> and by the way, they are having their Yokohama Arena concert next year, and it's called The Revenge because they're actually going to get to play it. Yeah. Well, a reminder here that economic depressions usually come in threes. <laughs> what do you mean by that? So when you have like a major, major, um, we call it like a major economic event. It usually tends to last for three years. So this should be over... 2022. Yeah. Because, like, it was already going downhill before COVID hit. No, not really. Um, But please prepare. Please prepare? As in, like, I don't think that concert will happen. But good luck! Well, it will happen eventually. It will happen eventually, just not in March. Maybe November? Mm, We shall see. Yeah. All right. Do you guys have any last words? Well, yeah. I hinted at it before, but I will be doing my anime song list for 2020. Because... Ronald keeps on trashing on any song. So this is Revenge of the Nerds. <laughs> when you go and you post troll songs for the playlist, like, 
hey, that's what I thought was good Annie song. And if people perceived it as troll, well, you know what? Maybe I am one. <laughs> I, I'm a troll. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. And Rio? Uh, nothing just is is a pleasure uh, speaking here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, Thank thanks you for coming, coming on. Because, like, I will say my final bit now. Okay, so I remember, like, this time last year, I was, like, talking to Hannah a lot about, like, the idea of just, like, a community. And I feel like COVID, making us all sit at home for months on end, kind of made it happen. Yeah, that's true. Like I just that's think actually of, really true. Yeah, like I just think of just like how like at first when like I found out I was gonna be at home, I was just like, oh, it was gonna be two weeks and it turned into a month and three months. And I remember me and Hannah were just like, what are we gonna do? Like and then like it ended up becoming just like, well, we're gonna have a slowdown in like content coming out. And we really didn't. And everything like kept up. Like, it was actually a bit surreal how, like, regular my schedule was still, even though I was not working, because of the fact that just, like, I had my hobby, I had the entertainment to, like, kind of, like, keep some sort of rhythm in my life. And then I also had, like, the readers of the site and, like, people on Twitter and, like, the listeners of the podcast, like, going and, like, engaging me and, like, supporting and I just want to say that even though this year was very shitty for a lot of people it has not been the worst for me and I am very thankful about that yeah and thanks to all the listeners for listening to me bully Ronald for hours Yes, I want to thank each and every one of you that like reads a Rama or listens to this podcast or like reads my dumbass Twitter feed. Of oh yeah, me, that too. Of me, of me just posting um, Ichiro Yamaguchi meme photos from his like meme account that he has on Instagram, which I steal and post. I just want to thank all of you guys, and I feel like we really did managed to like do something this year even though it was not the best year i feel like we did do something yeah so so yes thank thank you everyone and there'll be more to come we want to do we want to have we want to have more guests on we want to do more special episodes and yeah we just have more to come so stay tuned and yeah thank you and um good night good night everyone <laughs>